I love that bass. Hey, y'all. Welcome to Cross Politic. Thank you for joining us on Sunday night. Good to be with you, Pastor Toby, Chuck Knox, and Gabe. <laughs> Gabe? We talked offline about the that. The water boy. The water boy. Hey, we got we got actually really uh, two cool interviews coming at you. We got Hunting the Caliphate and Dr. Gordon Wilson on different shades of green. So you're going to enjoy the show. You're going to buy Here. books. We're going to get you to buy books. Yes. And, That's and what you're going to do. All our club members get automatically thrown in for a drawing for this book. Hunting the Hunting Caliphate. The Caliphate. Nice. Yes. Yeah, pretty okay. exciting. You know, it might be Monday for some people. I'm just saying. You said Sunday, but it might be Monday. That's true. And, or Tuesday. Okay. We're not actually watching the live stream. Yeah, but I'm saying we dropped this live. On Sunday night. That's all. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. Hey, make sure you guys join the club. Secular media outlets for far too long have dominated the airwaves. Wait, wait what'd you say? It's, it's secular media outlets. Oh, secular. that was really fast. It was in your Texas accent, and I didn't understand it. Secular. Secular mm-hmm. media outlets. Far too long. And so as you guys join the club, you actually support us and help us be able to get to the point where we can actually compete with those outlets. So please join the club. And right now, for a limited time, we still have a couple pint glasses to ship out at the Ooh. end of every month. Wait, 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 wait. I want to go back to the book giveaway thing. You yeah. just ran over oh, that like right. so yeah. fast. Okay. So like, think about this. We're gonna. So we're gonna try to be doing. We we really had fun doing that book giveaway that a couple was, weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, that was yeah. really. It was really, What yeah. was the book that we gave away? Why did you do worship? That? Uh, church church reform. Oh, sure. <laughs> Why did you do that, Pastor do Bailey? That. Pastor Bailey, we love you. Um, we we gave that away, and it was the fun. Like you put it in the little thing, and it went around, you know, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and it entertained us. Oh, it was fun. I, I mean, I think everybody enjoyed that. I mean, I think it's new. Everybody's yeah. new part, of, favorite part of the show. And, and so now, <laughs> now we're gonna take all our club members. Last time we said, hey, yeah. you email us. Club we made members, you, you have to work email us. for the yeah. first one. We're like, you have to email us. But you know, like, we you guys already give now so much. Yeah. So if you are already a member, you need to do nothing. You're yeah. automatically added yep. to the pool. Yep. And and your name is in the drawing. That's right. Mm-hmm. And and so next week, um, we will do a drawing. Yep. For hunting the caliphate. Yes. Now, yep. if you're not a member yet, you get to watch somebody else get blessed, or <laughs> you can join now That's and right. get your name in. Right. And if you join now and you join by the time we record the show, yep. usually Friday mornings. Yep. Um, you can you can you get your name in the in the. Thing. That's right. Is that all the members in that little little thing? It will be. It will be. Okay. Ne- next yeah. time it will next be. Yeah. That's a lot of names. It's going to be a lot, be mo- lot more than, than it was last time because okay. we, we made them work yeah. for it last time. We okay. made them email. But anyways, we want to give books away more. Yep. Praise God. Um, also, um, this show is brought to you by Ely Construction, and Ely Construction has a job opportunity in Moscow, Moscow Idaho. Come yes. on now. If you have 10 years of full-time residential construction experience or more, yeah. you love remodeling. Like you wake up in the night and you're like, I could just move. And there's some cool this, houses in right? Moscow. And you would consider yep. moving to our town, which is in the right, right. <laughs> we'll skip Ely that part. Construction <laughs> has a lead carpenter position for you to consider. Go to Elyconstruction.com right. forward slash lead for details. This is a position for people who are driven to pursue excellence, love learning, are passionate about caring for clients. And if you're not any of those things, don't people. apply. Don't apply. Please. Yep. Um, and also, if you don't know how to build a house from the ground up, <laughs> don't apply. All of a set of prints. This is not a position for you. Hmm. Apparently, there's been a bunch of people applying who don't know how to build house. No, I'm kidding. If you're not looking for a long term career, if you're just looking to come visit us for a Friday morning to don't watch apply. a show, 
don't apply. Sorry. Yeah. You know, it's not, I mean, we, we, tour of we, we appreciate that, but, but, but um, Mr. Ely is looking for somebody who wants to work here long term. Mm-hmm. If you're a master craftsman, you want to live in Moscow, you're humble, hungry, people smart, you want to innovate with excellence and remodeling, apply today. Go to ElyConstruction.com forward yeah. slash lead. I want to mention one more thing. We're going to be at ReformCon oh. next weekend. So this is your last week to sign up for ReformCon in Arizona. So right. October 24th through the 26th. Make sure you guys see you there, huh? Yeah. Hey, so Hunting the Caliphate, the, the reason why I'm like, excited. This is a great interview. It's, it's a really good interview. Yeah. It's by it, This book is written by uh, General Dana Petard and Special Ops Wes Bryant. So you get kind of the, the ground-level view of what happened in the Iraqi war between 2014 and 2017 yeah. from the Special Ops side. Which, and then you get kind of the politics and and the uh, you know air-level view from General Petard. I mean, did you guys what know, happened. Did you know how much we were doing in Afghanistan and Iraq during 2014 to, to 20. No, there was no, something no, going on there. Yeah. Right. I mean, seriously, yeah. I, I was, I was really blown away by how much was going on. The yeah. change of administrations, how that affected the ops and yep. the yeah. various, yep. I mean, it was, it's, it's pretty significant. And I think this is, I mean, if you want to be informed about what's going on over yeah. there and what, I mean, we've talked to, um, you know, remember our conversation with Chad Robichaux and, yep. um, yep. and who was it? Jeremy Long, Jeremy uh, Longnecker or something like that. Stallnecker. Stallnecker. Yeah. Um, sorry, Jeremy, but, um, hey, uh, just thinking about no, loving your neighbors, knowing yeah. what the soldiers have been doing, going yep. through, I mean, it, it all fits together. And, and the politics yeah. of what had been going on. So, right. so, uh, we're going to drop you into this interview. Um, right. We're dropping them into it. <laughs> And uh, yeah. <laughs> and make sure you guys. I, I mean, I, seriously, I, the book was written well. It's written by soldiers, so it's a little rough here and there. Yeah, but it was, this is not was, a book that you want to give to your six year old and no. or, or like you it's know, a re- grown man re- reading out loud yeah. around the dinner table. It's not that kind of book. They talk like soldiers. Yeah, uh, but it's it's not. Um, it, it, it's, it made me want to figure out what was going on. It's it's, it's not over time, the top. So, it's, yeah. not, it's not grotesque. Yeah, but not um, but it's a little rough in places. Yeah. But it really is enlightening, Absolutely. helping us understand what was going on. Yep. So enjoy the interview. Uh, we have uh, Dana Petard, retired from the U.S. Army in 2015, rank major general after 34 years of active duty service. He was a highly decorated combat leader, commanded units at every echelon from platoon to division, including multiple combat tours in Iraq and the Middle East. In 2014, he was picked to lead the initial U.S. response to halt the aggressive spread of ISIS in Iraq. He's a West Point grad, Harvard fellow, vice president of a manufacturing company in Indiana, where he lives mm. with his wife, Lucille and their two sons, and we have Wes Bryant, former Special Operations Forces Tactical Air Control Party Joint Terminal Attack Controller. There's some really cool acronyms. He's a deadly dude. But That's yeah, what just that means. basically, yeah. watch out. A <laughs> member of the elite ground combat forces of the U.S. Air Force in 2014, he was the senior enlisted uh, JTAC to establish the Baghdad Strike Cell coordinating, controlling some of the first airstrikes of America's war on ISIS. He continued as the senior air power expert for special ops task forces, hunting ISIS throughout Iraq, Syria, and Afghanistan until his retirement in early 2018. Wes holds a bachelor's in Asian studies and currently pursues writing, editing, and consulting while teaching traditional kung fu. He lives with his (laughs) wife, Katie, and their two daughters in North Carolina. And we are having them on because they have just written this book jointly, Hunting the Caliphate. America's War on ISIS and the Dawn of the Strike Cell. Dana and Wes, uh, thanks so much for joining us on Cross Politic. Well, thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. This is great. So, uh, when I read your book, um, I, I was like, man, I know nothing 
about the Serious. war that happened between 2014 2017 right why is why is that the case why don't why don't just kind of the general america doesn't know much about what went on obama between this oh, time that, that wasn't to me <laughs> <laughs> I, I think part of it has to do with um back in 2014 isis was in the news uh for taking over a third of the territory of iraq uh the beheading of uh both american and western hostages uh, publicly doing that, putting that out on, on YouTube. Right. Mm. Uh, so this is definitely the talk in 2014. But over time, obviously, we were able to defeat the caliphate, and that's the state that ISIS declared. And again, a third of the territory of Iraq and portions of Syria. So that's probably one reason why people aren't really talking about ISIS right now, but ISIS as a terrorist organization is still alive and well right. and still needs to be beaten. Right. So, so Dana, um, uh, this question's for you because I, I, it seems like you have, be, being a commander, you're uh, kind of involved on the politics side of things, but also involved on the ground uh, level side of things. You mean a general? General? Yeah. Sorry. Major general. Sorry, Major general. general. <laughs> I'm sorry. Please, please don't kill me. <laughs> and, uh, but in, in two, it, it seems like there was a, that uh, the Obama administration and their policy with Iraq kind of left a vacuum for ISIS to come in in 2014 and be able to take over a third of Iraq. Is, is that correct? Well, that's, you know, some of the truth of that. In fact, I mean, uh, when U.S. troops were removed from Iraq in 2011, uh, you know, people were cheering over here in America. But um, unfortunately, that allowed uh, the really the Shia-led government of Iraq. And Shia is, is uh, a form of Islam that's aligned with Iran, um, allowed uh, them to really have policies um, that persecuted, in many ways, Sunni Muslims. Mm. Um, so it's with the, the provinces that had Sunni Muslims in it, uh, ISIS was allowed to kind of germ- germinate, um, mm. also obviously from Syria. Uh, so there was a slight vacuum there. In fact, in the book, um, Part of the problem with uh, when ISIS took over the second largest city in Iraq, which is over a million people, uh, the city of Mosul, uh, the Obama administration was a little reluctant at that point um, to do anything because uh, President Obama was elected way back in 2008 to end war, so they weren't really high on um, on fighting ISIS initially until ISIS just became such an obvious existential threat. A number, a number yeah, of times. Go ahead, Wes. Yeah, I'd say from, from Wes, my take on that, too, is, uh, you know, sometimes we hear almost as if it was either an intention or how could you not see that having uh, come to fruition by pulling everybody out. But we do tend to forget um, that, you know, we wanted the majority of really America, the voices were saying, hey, let's get out of the Iraq war. We're done here. And it really, ISIS was an inadvertent consequence of that. Mm-hmm. Interesting. It, it, it's something that you know. We just celebrated nine uh, eleven. You know, re- remember you know, eighteen. Celebrated. Well, you know, re- remembered, <laughs> yeah, remembered, right, right. not celebrated. But I mean, we remember the heroes. We celebrate the heroes. That's what I mean. Um, and and so you know, it really goes back to there. But of course, before that, you had the Kuwait thing, the Iraq thing, in Desert the, Storm, Desert, Desert Storm, all that stuff. So I mean, we've been in the Middle East now for a long time. And you, know, you read this, you read the, just the challenges you guys outline. I mean, the, 
it's the, there's the politics, there's the culture, there's the religious side of things, and then all the military. I mean, it's just it's complex and complicated. And I think that your book really kind of pictures that well. And so you go back and you think, so should we have even ever been there? I mean, it was was it was it worth it? You know, that, that is a, a complex question. Um, one is, back in 2003, the invasion of Iraq, uh, you know, I was, was with my brigade in, in the Balkans at the time doing peacekeeping operations when, when that occurred. Uh, before then, moving from there and then deploying to Iraq, um, I, at that point, didn't understand why we, we attacked Iraq in 2003. Like, we all understood Afghanistan right. uh, because of Al-Qaeda and everything else attacks on our, on our country. But um, but Iraq was a little bit more complex because Iraq, uh, the government was a city-led government. It was something which was a bulwark, a hedge against Iran. They were enemies, and once we uh, took down Saddam Hussein's government, then the Shia majority of Iraq took over, and now Iraq is much more aligned with Iran than they ever been. Mm. Uh, so. Um, but to say, was it worth it? Uh, you know, I, both Wes and myself, you know, so many of our colleagues and friends uh, who died in the conflict. Um, so a lot of American blood and treasure has been spent. Uh, that's why the threat in 2014, we talk about it in the book, um, was important to stop ISIS because ISIS had invaded this, this young democracy, right. this sovereign nation of Iraq that we helped to create. Um, so if it wasn't just war, it was a war against ISIS in 2014, you know, taking away that, uh, off the table, uh, the invasion back in 2003, but once 2014 came around and ISIS attacked the sovereign democracy, uh, of Iraq, um, we need to do something about it. Yeah. Wes, it, it seems like, uh, we are, um, in a situation, I don't know how to pull out. I, you know, I don't, it's so complicated over there. And anytime we make a move to do something for, for good, it leaves a vacuum or an opportunity for something uh, to, you know, if we start pulling out, then all of a sudden we left a vacuum where we made progress. How do, how do we yeah. eventually pull, how do we pull out of this? That is there, you know, I think I, I hit on that in the book and that there becomes a bit of a, a whack-a-mole operation. Right. Mm-hmm. I remember that. Our, uh, I remember that in the Middle East. And so I think, um, really this concept that started with the campaign against ISIS, uh, where we, we said, you know, initiating from the Obama administration, one of the, one of the things they did really well, uh, to me, and I know Dana agrees is, Hey, we need to get a a coalition that is primarily an Arab led coalition and make it to where these countries can stand on their own. now, mm-hmm. uh, And that's the way forward. And, but for us to pull out, you know, it's going to be a long, a long time before, before they're ready. I think that's very clear in situations like Afghanistan and Syria. But if we look at Iraq and the state of the government and military now, even just, you know, four years later from 2014, when ISIS almost took Baghdad, um, it's night and day. And, you know, of, of the partner nations that we work with, Iraq is by far the strongest and most capable. And they're keeping ISIS at bay uh, very well themselves now. Mm. Yeah, look so that at, shows that there's hope. Now we have a lot more work to do. Was that good? No, no, go ahead, Wes. I, I want you to finish that. Yeah, yeah, we have a lot more work to do. Um, 
both there and especially in other places like Afghanistan and, of course, Syria is just a giant mess for reasons even beyond uh, any of our control. Right. So just a long way to go, and there's no, there's no quick answer at all. Is our, is our work there, though, breaking things worse? Um, one of the things, I had a friend who was over, a few of them actually, who were fighting over there, and one of the things that they came back saying is, in America, we think that we should be spreading our American democracy all across the world. But these people don't want that, and we keep on trying to shove it down their throat one way or another. After all that you guys have experienced, do you kind of feel the same way? It's like we keep trying to fix it. We only keep breaking it. Like you said, your whack-a-mole situation. Can we even fix it, or do we need to just say, okay, hey, guys, <laughs> uh, sorry, and bye? <laughs> well, well, Chuck, I think we need to take a look at the outcome. I, I think at one time you heard the, the Bush administration say, hey, we want to de- democratize the area. Um, that goal has definitely changed. Okay. Now it's about um, helping a government stand up on their own feet um, and whatever form they have, um, but as long as, at least if we're going to spend this blood and treasure, that they're somehow aligned with, with, with us in a way, um, but that the people have security. But it's also educating the American people on what peace looks like. I mean, mm-hmm. look at Korea. Uh, the right. Korean War really ended 56 years ago, but we are still there with a footprint. Yeah. World War II ended 75 years ago, nearly 75 years ago. We're still in Germany. So what does that look like as far as continued engagement? Um, we just, we got to take a look at that. Yeah. I, I was thinking too, I mean, it, I think there was one place in, uh, I, I can't remember which one of you gentlemen uh, were writing the section, but, uh, you know, the policy was, was, uh, you know, you, you were seeing, uh, you know, there was real threats, but the, the, the current policy, the, the orders from on high were basically, uh, just, uh, befriend the, uh, the, the nationals, befriend yeah, them, yeah. uh, encourage them. And, and, and I was thinking, armies are not really meant to be friends. Like, it's <laughs> like, it's like armies are, I mean, that, you know, that, they're really good at fighting bad guys. And that's what, and that's what we want. And, and that's yeah, what they need yeah, to do. Yeah. But so I wonder, like, is there have there been efforts and do you guys see need for more non-military efforts in these countries where like um you know ed- education uh missionaries uh people bringing in um you know sort of more entrepreneurship yeah businessmen you know. um is is that part of the solution to this as well rather than trying to have soldiers do everything um while recognizing that they have a really important role to play well, sure it's a comprehensive approach um, it's uh, a diplomatic approach, it's economic, it's military, it's informational, it's in some ways cultural, yeah. um, but it, it is a comprehensive approach. Uh, if it's just the military, if it's less said, then you're just playing whack-a-mole. Yeah. Um, we talk about that also in the book as far as the comprehensive approach. How did, yeah, uh, and I think go, go ahead, Wes. I think you may be alluding to uh, definitely a part where I discussed Afghanistan uh, over the years back and forth where there's, there's a significant portion where a big focus from, a focus from, uh, from the higher military down was, I think I put in there, you know, winning the hearts and minds. Yes. Where we had a lot of constraints and it wasn't yes. as much war fighting. And it would ebb and flow. You know, suddenly it's like, hey, let's go out and we're going to do all these offenses. And then the next day, it's, uh, nobody's going out on raids. 
and his heart and mind stuff. And it just ebbed and flowed with the political right. really flavor of the day back at, in Washington. Mm. That, that's exactly what so, I was, that, that's yeah. exactly what I was thinking yeah. of. And I was just thinking like, man, that, that's hard. <laughs> so, uh, this, this question is to both of you guys. I'll start with you, Dana, since I called you commander earlier. Um, <laughs> what did you guys, when you guys wrote this book, what did you uh, want to accomplish uh, through writing this book, and then what has been some of the feed- feedback that surprised you uh, now that the book's been out? Well, I, I, I think, first of all, first and foremost, is to tell a story. Um, and it was a story that wasn't known by uh, very many people outside of uh, really a small group. And it's this idea of, of, of a huge uh, task uh, to be done and trying to figure out what to do with a small number of troops. I mean, when Mosul was taken over the second largest city in Iraq in June of 2014, within 10 days, uh, we had 300 special operators and uh, 100 extra folks as far as staff and, and myself uh, to figure out what to do. Yeah. With staff, um, whether we needed to evacuate the embassy. If you remember, just two years before that is when Ambassador Stevens in Libya yep. uh, had been killed. Yep. So there's a lot of concern about that. And I, I, so it's, it's first and foremost a story. In fact, it's a very compelling story. And that's been a surprise since we've written the book. Is just um, the outpouring of, of uh, kind of excitement and support for the book um, and the story itself. Because the two different perspectives, mine and Wes's, right. we, we go back and it's almost like a Tom Clancy novel. Mm-hmm. Uh, except it's you know, true, it's nonfiction. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I absolutely care about that. I, I have been blown away at the response frankly i'm really humbled by it i just gave a um not just people reaching out over social media that i that i don't know on top of of course friends and colleagues uh sure but i just gave a presentation in my local area um to a really pretty educated group uh, otherwise educated group that told me wow we don't know i gave a long presentation about 30 minutes about the entire book even had a slideshow and some strike footage yeah uh mm-hmm. And, you know, they came up and said, we just, I just can't believe how much we don't know about what's going on and what's gone on. Yeah. And they asked, why is that? And, you know, I can't answer that question. I think it will really only, I don't think there's a mass conspiracy to hide anything, but I think it's a, sure. a matter of uh, our attention span for, for media, both left and right. Yeah. Um, so that was part of our, it, it's so great to hear because that was such a big motivation for the book was, Let's educate not only the public, but in my mind, it was politicians too. Sure. On how we really wage these wars, what happened uh, against ISIS, and what's still happening uh, for me as a as a JTAC, how we wage our airstrike campaigns, and what goes into every single airstrike. Because I've even heard some of our politicians speak very irresponsibly about uh, our airstrike campaigns in the Middle East. Mm. Um, and to, to have people come come and say, "Wow, I didn't know all of that goes into the one strike." Yeah, that's just, that's a great thing. It's really powerful. Wow, that was that was great. Yep. Um, what I mean, I I mean, I, I told you there's more to that interview and, that and, they got to catch. And, and there's yeah. more. And there's yeah. more. So like like all our interviews, you can find them at crosspolitik dot com. Um, and I hope you'll go check it out. Check out the book. Yeah. Um. Just a, a note on the book, you know, they're soldiers and they talk like soldiers sometimes. Yeah. So yeah. just be, be aware of that. Uh, you know, it's, it's probably not something to give to your six year old boy. Yeah. Right. Uh, right. Uh, you but, might want to filter, uh, but it's pretty gripping. It really is really, told well. It really yeah. is. It's well told. Yeah. And, um, and we really appreciated uh, their time. 
Next up, we have Dr. Gordon Wilson, author of A Different Shade of Green. It's kind of kind of goes. You got like the army green and environmental green, right? Uh, that's how you tie it in with the colors. With the colors. <laughs> that's an interesting way to think about it. Yeah. Hope you enjoy. Dr. Gordon Wilson. It's been a while. Gordon yeah, Wilson is long? Seen, at least a year or two. Has it been? Year and a half? It's been more than more, really? than, more than a year. Yeah. He did his dissertation on turtles. Did you guys know that? <laughs> <laughs> So you might want to eat the mic so you can correct this dude. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's that's technically correct. <laughs> Just like everything Gabe says, technically it's a little bit narrower than that. I don't know if it's technically correct. It's sort of rant, like generically it's, 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 correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's generic. a senior fellow of natural history, which uh, in layman's terms is science, right? Well, biology, biology in I would particular. Say, yeah. Um, at New St. Andrews College in Moscow, Idaho. Hey, that's where we live. And they have mm-hmm. a student perspective weekend, October 24th through the 26th. Oh, uh, look at that. You yeah. just feathered that right He's working mm-hmm. uh, Dr. Wilson has also taught a wide array of biology courses at Liberty University. Yes. Uh, he received his PhD in environmental science and public policy from George Mason University in 2003. Mm. And your your dissertation was in... The reproductive ecology of the eastern box turtles. So, yes, turtles. David, it was turtles. <laughs> Gordon is the author of the biology textbook, The Riot and the Dance. If you've not seen The Riot and the Dance, what's oh, wrong with you My people? kids have seen it a couple times, and the, the last time they saw it was yeah. their favorite. It gets better every time. It gets better. Okay, yeah. yeah. So, check yeah. out The Riot and the Dance. Is it on? Um, is it streaming? Amazon? Yeah, it's streaming. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, Amazon it's, Prime? Uh, Amazon Prime, at least. I don't know if goes off i don't know when it goes off okay. amazon yeah. prime but it was on it may still be on okay. amazon prime and you can also itunes i think and uh google play okay. i think also hulu okay. now you could buy uh dvd uh, or yeah, canon DVDs. press, yeah. Canon blue, press. Yeah. blu-ray from canon okay. it uh, was featured in uh, uh and it's uh, the it's a textbook and a movie so just to be well, clear yeah. it's and a textbook and s- a movie same name but one the textbook obviously is curricular yes the movie is just entertainment right. it's, it's the same to me it's like <laughs> turtles it's just <laughs> dr wilson is also a regular contributor to answers magazine uh gordon his wife meredith have four children and a growing number of grandchildren mm. currently eight Ooh. eight um, yeah. and he is the author of this brand new book a different yeah. shade of green, a biblical approach to environmentalism and the dominion mandate. It's also got a yeah. forward by Mr. Indy Wilson, yeah. your nephew. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, why did you write this book? Well, the, the reason I wrote the book was because I saw that uh, Christians in particular would either uh, have a knee-jerk reaction against uh, anything environmental mm-hmm. simply because there's uh, a, a strong association with the liberal or left agenda right mm-hmm. and so well you know i don't want to i don't want to even be remotely associated with right a lot of that extreme, i'm not a tree hugger yeah yeah and but then there there was um and so there's a reaction against um that then there's the other side the other extreme where um, Christians, hipsters would, hey, it's cool to be green. Oh, yeah. And then indiscriminately drink the Kool-Aid of the en- mm-hmm. environmental agenda. And they're you know, Christian, um, but they and they were all about stewardship. And so there was this weird polarization between, you know, right. redneck Randy and 
and this uh, this hip, other extreme. Hip, hipster Henry. Yeah, I, I've got <laughs> other Redneck stereotypes. <laughs> I have other stereotypes named in the book, but um, you've got this spectrum, and then everything in between. And I thought, well, it's just time to have a nice, um, just lay out a biblical theology of sorts. I'm not a theologian, but um, just what does the Bible say about uh, his creation? And and hopefully the principles um, there would um, help people to see that the, the glories of creation and avoid some of these pitfalls on either extreme. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that's what I wanted to do. I, I, I didn't like the heavy-handed governmental uh, coercion. Yeah. I don't like that at all. I want um, the, the grassroots um, level change um, that, you know, in a sort of a post-millennial way where there's a grassroots movement where people are reconciled to the Father through the Son. And um, as Francis Schaeffer said in his uh, uh, book, his environmental book back in 1970, huh. Um, called Pollution and the Death of Man, uh, he said when people are reconciled to the, the creator, then other dislocations are, are healed. Right. Um, so we're reconciled to the Father, then we are reconciled to each other, mm-hmm. uh, and then we're reconciled to the creation. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he says uh, one quote of his, which I, I quote in the book, it sounds a bit you know, sentimental, but you, you have to, you have to put it in context. He says, if I love the lover, I love what the lover has made. Mm, Yeah. Um, and there you go. Um, so when we talk about, uh, so God gave us the world and he gave us it and he wanted us to take dominion over it. Right. Um, so practically that means we should strip all the minerals out of the earth that we, so we can take dominion over. Well, I'm, as I said, (laughs) I said, (laughs) As I said, uh, when you, you look at the dominion, uh, yeah, when you look at the dominion mandate in Genesis one twenty eight, um, you, it says uh, that he, he said, rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the beasts of the field. So if you just look at it in in its strict sense, uh, the dominion mandate is uh, global wildlife management. Huh. Just there you go. And it doesn't have to be any kind of creature that God made. We're we're put in charge of that. Yeah. And so um, that's a huge responsibility. And I also sort of avoid the word stewardship. That's the big buzzword yeah. in Christian right. circles now. Yeah. It's not necessarily. Is that it a green? It's yeah. <laughs> yeah it's stewardship. That, it's, stewardship. Yeah. it's like oh, and and they tip a hat towards the green and say yeah, we, we should be good stewards. But the Bible doesn't use that word stewardship. Well, he does in other places, but he uses the not word, with regard to creation. Not yeah, it's dominion, and I think good dominion or wise dominion is going to look a lot like good stewardship. But the sure. difference between the two words is that stewardship does not imply ownership. Ownership, yeah. right? Uh, uh, dominion is sovereign rule. Interesting. Right. That's helpful. And it, it's it's stronger. It's more potent. Um, if your rich uncle gave you, you know, a, his real fancy sports car and not gave you, but loaned it to you for the summer, uh, and said, take good care of it, you know, change the oil, you know, 
you know, fill wash gas. it, fill it up, you know, <laughs> yeah. premium, all of these things. You're stewarding, you're stewarding his car because he owns it, and you're responsible for making sure that you return it to him in, in good shape. Mm-hmm. When God signed the title over to us in Genesis one, it, it's it's like okay, we can exercise. It's ours. Yeah, we can exercise dominion wisely or stupidly. Okay, and um, you know, I pull other, uh, you know, other biblical analogies just to unpack this notion of dominion because there's a lot of uh, negative baggage yeah. mm-hmm. with that yep. word. That's mm-hmm. why we've gone with stewardship, right? Because stewardship is a kinder, nicer, yeah, word, gentler, gentler yeah, word. Right. And dominion just sounds exploitive and aggressive, you know, kind and, of like oh, yep. what you were just saying. Um, yeah. Stripping the yeah, minerals stri- out of the earth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And, and I, I think that we can develop and we can use natural resources, but as uh, I don't know if there's a, you know, you can say stewardship, but there's there's not a word dominionship. Maybe there's a word right. I haven't looked it, it up. It is but now. Yeah, now make, it, it is. make it, make dominion, it happen, Gordon. Dominionship. Yeah. Uh, Good dominionship is going to be circumspect when we um, take resources, yeah. okay? Um, whether it's uh, renewable resources or non-renewable resources, uh-huh. we should um, use them because it talks about the Bible, you know, there's going to be copper in the hills to dig out. Dig out. Yeah. Um, we need metals. Yeah. Right. Metals are in the earth. But when we look at it holistically and say, okay, there's a lot of life that God has made, and at the end of the creation week, he said it was very good. Right. And that's my starting point. Mosquitoes, though? Yes. Really? Well, well, you're really opening <laughs> I, a can of worms, or I should I'm, say I'm pushing you. Of, I'm pushing you on it. <laughs> a can of mosquitoes. Um, that uh, in the unfallen state, everything was good. Yeah. Everything was very good. You say, well, okay. Now that man has sinned, all sorts of things are bad. Therefore, we should, you know, try to annihilate them. But I think, and I make this point in the book, is that a lot of things that we call pests are just in the wrong place at the wrong time in the wrong quantities. Mm -hmm. And it's often because of our bad dominion. Mm -hmm. Um, We have gone in and often... Uh, without being ecologically circumspect, come in and done our thing, and then then we go whoa, and we didn't have any malice of forethought in trying to destroy. Yeah. Um, often we do what we want to do, whether we're entrepreneur or whatever, and there's no evil. Blah, I'm going to just destroy the environment and and right. do all sorts of bad things. Right. But we do all sorts of bad things anyway, yeah, right. doing excuse, what yeah. we're. And we think, oh, we're just absolved of any kind of responsibility because I wasn't meaning to hurt the environment. There's all sorts of people that um, uh, just at at a a microcosm, like in their home, they're not necessarily trying to make a mess for their, you know, the wife, you know. Why are you making tons more work for me? Because they're not trying to be difficult they're just being thoughtless they're being careless Mm -hmm. and we often do that with the world around us we're thoughtless we're careless we come in we uh destroy and then we go oh dear you know so yeah how how bad of a situation are we in so i mean the 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 mass media says we've got to be off uh you know uh 
Carbon. We gotta have no cars by twenty twenty no, or no twenty thirty or whatever. Emission, no yeah. carbon emissions off yeah. fossil fuels in ten years, yeah. or it's too late. Yeah, I I talk about that climate change in my chapter um, in the part three, which is problems and solutions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know the 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 short answer is that um, when we are first of all. Um, there are certain greenhouse gases that are not necessarily healthy for the environment. That, uh, but CO two is is a is a good gas, and it would have to be ridiculously high for it to be uh, a problem. Uh, yeah, CO two is plant food, right? Okay, <laughs> CO two and water um, and photosynthesis. The magic of photosynthesis make produces sugar. makes sugar yeah. makes more plants. So you increase CO2, uh, you actually increase plant production. Uh, and so I'm all for, as I say in the book, I'm all for um, uh, cleaning up emissions. I mean, if, if we do combustion and we're cranking out greenhouse gases um, and there are some hazardous um, things in those gases, yeah. um, we should clean them up. And the over uh, the overarching principle is love your neighbor, right. love your neighbor, and uh, but when the, there's that alarmism that says okay greenhouse gases warm the globe, well they're not factoring in all sorts of things you know um, like like uh, is it necessarily yes we both sides of the argument say there's a little bit of warming but is warming necessarily bad. Yeah. What they'll do is run uh, computer models, which some some uh, scenarios will be uh, bad, but they're sort of overlooking a lot of the good things that could come of it. And I don't want to go into yeah. all of that. Read read the book, but um, there there's there's um, there's good things in warming. The other thing is not clear is whether we're causing it. Because yeah. there's all sorts yeah, of, right. um, just like your house has a thermostat, there's uh, if it goes, uh, if it, if the temperature goes up, your your furnace shuts off, right, right? And it's it's called negative feedback, right? Okay, and there's sort of at a global scale, there are feedback mechanisms that sort of when things go up, like uh, if you have increased CO two, then you're going to have more plant production, which is going to extract the CO two out of the atmosphere. It's going to lower. So let's say you have a little bit of warming. Well, warming is going to warm up uh, the water and cause more evaporation. Okay, uh, water like globally, yeah. and so, so more so evaporation it, has more more condensation, more cloud cover, more cloud cover, more solar reflectance, and a temperatures can actually temp- go down. Temperature is that there's this moderating effect. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and right. I, I'm not saying that. Uh, there can't be. Sure, I, I'm. I'm not necessarily saying everything is wrong, but what I do get, I get very, very skeptical when there's this spittleflecked hysteria right. that says it's just all bad. Everything's going to heck in a handbasket, yes. and we're we we have to just stop it all now. Yeah. It's like they're not they're not looking at both sides right. they're not listening to very very good qualified climatologists that are saying 
wait, you're exaggerating Something the that problem. Yeah, yeah. Like, like that girl that yells, create, create. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so, uh, no, my turn. <laughs> okay. okay. You, you want to go? <laughs> yeah. I want to talk yeah. about, you hit on something I thought was really important just a moment ago when you were talking about conservation and ownership. Mm-hmm. And this is something that I feel gets really lost in the conversation. So I'm, I'm just going to talk. You jump in here when you find something you want to latch on to. Okay. Sure. Um, I'm, so I, because of my field, I get to go do a lot of videos for hunting folks. And, mm-hmm. and so I get to watch them in their realm. And one of the people that they praise uh, is uh, Roosevelt because of what he did for conservation. Right. The more I dug into this, I started to notice that it was actually a socialistic idea that was creeping in. And that because of the act of public land, the state was the going state to was, so it was, save all the right, this, animals. And so the, the, the public land situation yeah. where the state owns the yeah, lands and right. they get to and then we, we all own the lands because how, the state owns the lands. So it's basically socialism yeah. inside of conservation. How much do the feds own of Idaho? Right, exactly. Like 60%. 60% of our lands, I think, are owned mm-hmm. by the feds. But one of the things that's really interesting about God's law and the mandate is that it's not given as a general application but actually specific to individuals how they manage their land how they manage their individual um their sheep right their sheep their, dominion of what yep. they yes, have but, over it you know so i think that some of it is missed in, in in the idea that if we give it over to not saying we don't have a world view to approach these things but expecting the government to manage all of this or um isn't all isn't doesn't seem right either so individual responsibility yeah, over what they own this, it seems this, really important I don't want to get out over my skis on this. Oh, too late. We're but in it. Uh, there is a biblical precedent for common lands. Okay. Okay. So I can see every, gleaning on a personal land. I don't know how no, you see common. Com, there's common lands around the cities for the city of refuge. Uh, yeah. And well, I'm, even I'm, just I'm, the cities, the, the cities, there's yeah. common land. And there's all sorts of things that um, you, when you go all the way with um, private property you run into um okay water rights yeah um what about wildlife you know it's it's running running across boundaries and so if we slice and dice and get really 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 um now i'm with you i think things should be more a little bit well, Uh, the reason i want to challenge i'm just saying that uh i I, I, I own property but do i own um, when when deer walk across it, yeah, I, I can if, if I've got a hunting it. if I've got a hunting sure. license, I can I can shoot it, right? But um, I guess I'm I'm appealing to the verse where if you find a dead body in the middle of a field and we don't know it's the closest, we don't just say, well, this is open land. No, we say who's the closest city to the land, and mm-hmm. then that person of that city makes the restitution for that and sacrifices in order to take care of it. So I don't mm-hmm. know where I would find public land is being someone's responsible for the land it, no one if no one owns the land then, what about the oceans uh, mediterranean sea yeah okay I can see, but that, but there's borders there's commons where, yeah there, absolutely air air is absolutely. Commons. and there's even borders within that too you have american water right we you have, have jurisdictions right. around that for places it's not just open to every and we're all responsible in one sense for shared i guess you can say but a like, shared can public I space all, with borders but if a river is going through my land yeah and we might going down a rabbit trail here but that's a river flowing through my land do i get to while it's passing through pump it all out so that my downstream neighbor doesn't get any yes can i yeah absolutely (laughs) you can you can cut the everybody else off no no no. i think that there is um 
just like you can, I, I, th- I think there is a place where it's like everybody is shared in one sense, but there's borders and boundaries within that yeah, shared and particular I, and, and space. I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I, you see I what I'm saying? I haven't looked. Um, my book's not addressing a lot of these deeper right. private property issues. Uh, I'm, I'm all for private property, and I think that it would be better um, to say it, if a national park was given as a trust to a conservation group and it's theirs. So let's, let's talk how about that. That's well, how about you, per, that? you personalized it. So the water thing real quick, how, one about, example. how about given, uh, how I about given personalizing it's fantastic government, the government, the federal government gives Yellowstone to the nature conservancy Yeah, so, as a trust. Uh, sure. As a I, trust, I you, as a national you, you personalize that. Absolutely. The water thing, I want to make one point about the water thing. I was joking when I said yes, but um, right. what helps the water right issue is actually giving ownership to the people all the way down the river instead of the government saying it's ours and then they put dams in wherever they right. want. Well, and it's, it's not yeah, loving your neighbor. It's not that's loving not your neighbor. Loving so neighbor. I'm, I'm just saying yeah. I want to personalize that process right. as much or, as possible. That, that, that's fine. Or, but I'm, I'm out. Uh, I'm beyond my pay grade. But, 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 <laughs> but I really want to get it, though, is that if we don't have ownership of something, how can we say who's responsible for it? It's, uh, you're, you're, uh, going, you're appealing to the Dominion. Right. Yeah, and so, the Dominion mandate would say, yeah, we're responsible, but who is responsible? And that's why – Without getting into all of the particulars that you're bringing up, I just say whatever sphere of influence you have, your own property, your own pet, your own garden, yeah, um, then exercise your dominion responsibilities in a way that glorifies God yeah. in your area right. rather than say, well, you know, I, I don't want to take out the garbage, but I want to save the world. So, you know, so um, should Christians recycle? Come on, come on. <laughs> well, first of all, I talk about things in principle, okay. and um, we need to do homework on what kind of recycling uh, and whether or not that recycling is actually green. And it may depend, depending on the infrastructure of a particular air, um, community, whether it's actually efficient. It's efficient and whether it needs to ask yourself does it need to be subsidized or is someone able to make a, a right. business a out, of, out of this yeah, a, yeah right. a, a living a, a legitimate living out of right. this without being without parasitizing the taxpayers to, to right. do it so that and just to say again repeating what you're saying but if the government has to prop up an industry right then it's not efficient right that it's not efficient it needs to it's not actually productive it's not actually producing something all on its own that's valuable to the community Uh, Mm and that's uh, the free market basically judging is this is this helpful is this useful but and but we need to temper the free market with um you know if it's just a free market we can wait for negative uh negative consequences because if um Back in the in the uh, days when uh, westward expansion, and you had people that said, "Look at all these natural resources," and I'm going to go out and just, you know, unrestrained greed or whatever. And you got a lot of people making a lot of money because they weren't thinking in terms of generational. Um, uh, right. What are my grandkids going to get? Yeah. What am I? Am I leaving them a smoking crater or am I causing a big problem because I'm just raking in as much natural resources as I possibly can and uh, causing all sorts of untold damages? So we need to 
Now, now we've learned a lot from our lessons. We need to uh, take stock of our global herds. You say, but I don't own the globe's herds as an individual. Right. Yeah. Well, you own your own. Okay. And take good care. You know, mm-hmm. a righteous man has regard for the life of his beast. Right. If you're a, if if you're farming cattle or farming chickens, you need to think in terms of what can I do to make uh, true dominion. And this is the analogy I use uh, with the marriage analogy: is that husbands are head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. But if he's doing dominion well, she is going to thrive. She's going to become more beautiful. She's right. going to flourish. She's going to become more lovely. But we're thinking. Uh, we're thinking not in those terms. We're thinking dominion is, uh, well, I can get, take what I want. God gave it to us, and I can just extract rather than uh, cause things to flourish. Now, uh, interesting. Yeah, so, so, you, a, so, so you would say that the idea for that we should be thinking about as Christians for dominion is not necessarily extracting, which could be fine, but how can we make this Things particular better. item flourish and be better than what it was. Yeah. And, that's and so the bigger the property you own right. or the bigger industry you own, the more responsibility, the more homework you have to do. How can I beautify? And uh, I may have mentioned this before. I don't know how much I had said on the last time I was on the show, but um, that uh, the uh, when you think of the parable of the talents, uh, you have they were given uh, – this person was given five. This person was given two. And the guy with five earned five more. The guy with two earned two more. And the guy with one just buried it. Right. The one who got chewed out was the one that was doing sustainable management. Huh. <laughs> okay. Yeah, buried his talent. Yeah. He yeah. buried his talent and he gave back what he got. He didn't diminish it. So if he gets chewed out yeah. for right. diminishing it, right. how I would think how much more should we right so <laughs> if not- when we diminish now certain things are non-renewables uh, when we extract uh well we can at least recycle a lot of those things and use them and i think as we there there's almost a sort of a sanctification cultural sanctification as the gospel pervades is that i'm not going to try to guilt trip some farmer who's doing what his granddad did but as the you know with uh how he's managing his land. I think from a cultural sanctification standpoint is that as we learn more about ecology, learn about agroecology, the more we'll start to implement things that will make the land uh, be renewed, be better rather than diminish. Mm -hmm. But we're usually thinking of maximizing profits. When we think of only maximizing profits, we think, well, let's break the Sabbath because if I'm open on Sunday, that's right. I can, right. I can stay yeah. in the running. But, but it turns out that that's actually not maximizing. It's profit. not the maximum. So, yeah. So if we do what God says, yeah. we, God blesses obedience that's and right. we're thinking, no, it's all about what I'm doing. And I'm going to maximize my profit margins by trying to extract as much as I can out of this thing that God has given me. And I think we need to think in terms of loving your neighbor and if, say, you own an industry, do you only love your neighbor and you're saying in quotation marks, my neighbor is my client? No, I think we should think past who's your neighbor. All your neighbors. It's not your, just your clients to give them a good product at a good price. 
you are wanting to love your neighbor who is downstream from your yeah. Yeah. from yeah. your mill, well, yeah. from your factory. And it's your own children that you're going to hand the business off to. Yeah. And if you're doing you know strip strip mining in terms of whatever your business is, right. just grabbing maximum profit right now, you're not actually setting your business up to thrive long term. So you're right. not even loving your own children yeah. Yeah. who exactly. are going to inherit your business. Right. It's just yeah. it's just bad business. Yeah. 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 You want you want people a generation or two from you looking back and going yeah this guy right was really taking care of his property he was thinking generationally he yeah. was he was thinking of how to beautify his his land yeah. while giving i really i really love yeah. that contrast yeah, between yeah. dominion and just preservation yeah. it's not just about right. preservation yeah it's about yeah preserving the good things but then actually taking enhancing them, them, enhancing them, glorifying yeah, them. And you see right. that in the, in the creation week itself in Genesis one, God creates things yeah. and then he comes back the next day and he, he breaks them apart and he makes better. them better. Yeah. Right. And then he yeah. says, all right, now it's your turn. See the, see the animals, see the fish, see the birds and now start practicing. Yeah. This. And, and one other thing is sometimes we think, okay, dominion has to mean domestication. But I think that uh, if you read your Bible, you'll see that, um, God extols all sorts of wild creatures. Yeah. And the behemoth, it, the behemoth Leviathan. And, yeah, yeah. and uh, you know, read Psalm 104 several mm. times. You'll see that God uh, glories in the wild beasts. Right. And there's no, in, there doesn't seem to be any intention of these are things that need to be domesticated. Right. That, that's their appeal. Right. That they're not domesticated and they're not. Uh, some you of know. them t- taking dominion. Some of them means just watch. You know, maybe there's places where you have to kind of hem them in a little bit, but otherwise you just you know, let them be. Let them be because that's what they were made to be. Exactly. You know, I, one thing too, I'm thinking about as you're talking. Every eschatology has a fallout, and I think that the eschatology that's been run in America, which is really dispensationalism for the most part, has led us to feel this way about the, the earth that it's just going to well, all it's, burn it's, the hell in the handbasket. Well, it's, it's, it's basically the the lefty version of that. Yeah. In environmentalism, absolutely. It's five more years and we're out of oil. Five yeah, more years, that's exactly and, right. And, and L.A. fell into the ocean. Five more Use years. Use it up now, and, and, it's, and it's all over, and it's too late. It's too. It's like this is just how Lindsay. Yeah, and uh-huh. on the yeah. Left, I think a post millennial understanding of this That's is right. like you develop it, you make it beautiful for the next generation, so they can continue to mm-hmm. portray and display the glory of God in the land as well. well it's, almost like, it's almost like this whole universe had a maker. Yeah, imagine that. Oh, it's yeah. it's yeah. almost like it, it was designed. It's, it's and it, <laughs> we're we're often uh, keen to fix on certain things that will give us dividends, like uh, certain crop plants. You know, we'll mm-hmm. keep those around. But God had Noah build an ark that took on board all sorts of things that Noah was scratching his head like, how am I going to use that? Right. You know, yeah. how am I going to make uh, <laughs> yeah. fish food? Do you like to fish? Yes. Okay. Well, fish actually eat a lot of mosquitoes. I use my hands. I, I, I'm bare hands. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there were probably more than Take two mosquitoes on the ark. Yeah. We're not going to talk about snakes, but I do want to ask you if there, was, <laughs> if there was one thing that somebody could walk with that you wanted somebody to walk away with after you read this book, what would that be? Oh, man. Just one. Just one. Love your neighbor. Yeah. Love Ooh, God yeah. and love your neighbor. Love yeah. is creation. 
Yeah. Is yeah. that one? That, that, it was like that, three in one. That, that summarizes. It's like Trinitarian. That's That summarizes the book. That's what Jesus did. Love God, love your neighbor. There we go. Love God, love your neighbor, and love the creation. There you go. A Different Shade of Green, a biblical approach to environmentalism in the Dominion Mandate by Dr. Gordon Wilson. Forward by his uh, nephew, Indy Wilson. That's cheating. <laughs> Until next week, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Go fight. Laugh and feast. This is cross politics. We're talking about snakes? No. Huh. No, not talking about snakes. Snakes is horrible. Don't like snakes. My water.